Hello, everyone. We are going on 20 years now in our journey with BBNR to bring holistic health to the mainstream. It has really all come from a desire to find ways to flatten out the bumps in the road of our lives and be grateful for when days go well. So much innovation and insight is coming out on health and wellness on a daily basis. It's sometimes hard to keep up. We are so grateful for the speakers who join us on this podcast and to all of the guests that come to our Georgetown conference and to those that join us at Gasparilla every year to share their wisdom. At the end of the day, we hope that we have made you curious enough to try some of these tips in your day-to-day life. We hope that you felt their impact on your life as well as the lives of the people that you love. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Susan Wilson is a Yale-educated certified nurse midwife and a certified clinical thermographer with more than 40 years of experience in the women's health field. She's taught at Omega Institute and is a frequent lecturer for the American College of Nurse Midwives, where she lectures on women's health and the emotional work of menopause. We are so excited to welcome Susan on Health Gig today. Hey, Susan, welcome to Health Gig. Thank you so much for being here. So let's just jump in. So your new book, And your first book, Making Sense of Menopause, Harnessing the Power and Potency of Your Wisdom Years, is going to be out on February 15th. Is that what you said? That's right. Awesome. Okay. So we want everybody to go out and get it. Really look forward to diving into it today. Why don't you start, Susan, just as way of background to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Give us your story, because I know that in this book, it's all about our stories. I'm a nurse midwife, and I've always had. real interest in other cultures. So ever since I was young, I've been looking at what connects us as human beings as opposed to what's different. And my work started out in other cultures. I spent time living on the Navajo reservation. I went to Africa for the CDC for a while and spent some time up in Seattle working with people from Pacific Rim cultures, I feel like I've been so informed by all of that as to what's fundamental about the birth process and about our lives as women and what that continuum is for everyone as opposed to what's cultural. And are you still a practicing midwife right now? I am a practicing midwife. I don't deliver babies at this point as I've been in practice for 45 years. So at different points of the process, I've had different things about it that interested me most. In the very beginning, it was women's self-care and empowerment. That was back in the 70s when women were looking at their cervixes and figuring out what was really going on with themselves as opposed to what the medical culture told us. Then I became very interested in infant consciousness and ensoulment and what it is that we even knew while we were in the womb, because babies are very conscious as they develop in the womb. And, you know, focused on birth and the birth experience for women. And of course, as I aged, I've been through menopause 20 years now, I became very interested in what that process was for women and spent the last 20 years working 
exclusively with menopausal women. And when you talk about menopausal women, is it 50 and older? Are people seeing you when they're 70 and 80 too? Or how does it work? Because I primarily focused on working with people's hormonal balance and the way that showed up in their lives. I saw women kind of at both ends of that spectrum. I saw teenagers who were having a difficult time on the on-ramp, and I saw women during menopause who were trying to find their feet. I was primarily seeing women in perimenopause who were starting to have symptoms and onward. And yes, I did see a couple of people in their 80s. Because once we're menopausal, we're always menopausal. I hear a lot of women say, oh, I already did that. But menopause technically is a year, begins a year after you finish having periods. And it goes on from there. You are menopausal or postmenopausal after that. When you wrote this book, you just knew what, what made you decide to write this book, Making Sense of Menopause? What I noticed in working with women is that it seemed like a real fork in the road for them. At this point in time, women either decided to move through thriving and take on this next very potent art of their life, or they began to diminish and feel like their life was over. And that really stood out for me. And um, because we're in a medical culture, that tends to break us up into pieces and fix symptoms. We're really not looking at the cause of health in our medical culture. It's profit-driven, and a lot of it is about fixing this symptom, fixing this disease, and you see any number of different specialists for each one. We're not really looking at how the body works together as a whole and what that is. And so many women feel that menopause is something that happens to you at a certain age. And in fact, our hormonal life as women is a continuum that goes from the time we're in the womb until the time that we die. And our hormones literally transform us into different beings at each point along the road. So I wanted to show how each stage affected the next and how each one built on the one that came before so that we could start to see the body's intelligence and see it all as a piece. It sounds a little trite, the thing about the caterpillar and the butterfly, but it really got my attention when I realized their DNA is exactly the same. They've just gone through this process, but they're different creatures with different physiology, different longings, different everything, different goals for each part. But yet their DNA is exactly the same. It's similar to us. We come as we are and we transform along the way. And you talk about in the book that it is this sort of allowing this to happen rather than resisting. And can you talk about that and what that means? And I guess what I found fascinating is how you do go right back. At, it begins at the beginning is the first part one. So maybe you can just tell us about part one and how it goes through all the way. I think maybe the easiest way to connect those dots is when looking, for instance, at stress, which is really huge when we get to menopause because our adrenals are in charge of making our hormones for the second half of life. And if we are really stressed and they're depleted, we're going to have a much harder time. 
So you're saying our adrenals mm-hmm. are now making our hormones. If our adrenals aren't functioning properly, therefore you're not getting the hormones that you need to feel good, to be able to sleep, to be able to do what we do. Right. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that the adrenals actually were a source of where our hormones are made. Yes. It's our adrenals and our fat cells after menopause that kind of take over from the ovaries as they wind down. And it's why women tend to put on an extra five pounds or so around this time of life, because that's to help with hormone production. And if you want to connect time in the womb to time at menopause, that is the most direct connection because about three months prior to the time that this egg launches, that's going to become you, about three months prior to that, it starts gene sequencing. And so we are taking information from the environment at that point through our mothers, because at that point, we're not us yet. Right. So our mother is putting together gene sequencing these eggs to match what it seems like the environment is that we're being born into because our bodies haven't really changed that much as humans since we hit the planet, but we've had to adapt on and on and on to different changes in the way that we live. So if For instance, a mother's life is very stressful and her body's producing a lot of stress hormones. Then the body feels, oh, okay, we better have a quick stress response because we're being born into a situation where we're going to need that to survive. So the eggs get loaded, the one launches that becomes us. And then as the fetal brain's developing, the same thing is happening. It's getting information through the mother's body as to what's going to be needed when it's born. So a baby being born into a war-torn country, for instance, or into a family that has a lot of stress is going to have a very different stress response than being born into a sleepy town in the Midwest or a very serene pregnancy or something like that. And if you fast forward this into someone's life, The woman who is wired to respond to stress more immediately is going to continue to do that. And you could put that woman in the woman who had experienced a serene pregnancy in exactly the same situation. One of them would see it as stressful and their body would respond that way and the other wouldn't. So this compounds as we move through life, of course, and the woman who had experienced some more stressful life would then arrive at menopause with very depleted adrenals and less of an ability to be able to balance her hormones and avoid symptoms, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. So it's definitely the caterpillar and the butterfly because it's the same DNA. And what you're saying is this one person had this experience that she had before she was even in her mom, right? Mm -hmm. Before she was even conceived. It's almost like they're programmed that way. Is that right? In some ways. And of course, we can mediate that as we go through our lives. We aren't just destined to follow one road, but it does tend to happen that those that come with that hair trigger response to stress, it tends to build up before they even are conscious enough to know that might be the fact and try to do things to bring that down. Is it ever too late? Because you talk in the book too about the two women that 
one woman has the story that everything's negative and the other lady is running around doing all kinds of things, loving her life, but she's not going to bed till midnight. She's getting up really early. She's burning it at both ends, loving her life. And the other person is having stress in a different kind of way. They kind of end up being the same. Very similar because our body doesn't distinguish between good stress and bad stress. We were originally made to run into a mastodon on the plane, have this huge tidal wave of hormones that would move through our body and help us to run faster, fight harder, climb a higher tree and survive that encounter. But our bodies don't really distinguish between that and a fast paced life that's run on adrenaline and sitting in traffic and a fight with our spouse and a medical illness and all of the things that we tend to worry about in modern life. The body will go into stress in a similar way, but the woman with the negative stress that's not loving her life, that may be raising children on her own, having financial stress, being in an abusive relationship, that woman also carries like an epigenetic burden from that. And what I mean by that is that our perceptions of our environment are what key ourselves in our body as to what to do. You can be walked through that on a step-by-step basis. Bruce Lipton, who is a cell biologist out of Stanford, has done a beautiful job of showing us how our beliefs and perceptions translate into physical symptoms, diseases, or whatever in the body. And yes, the woman with the negative stress would have a, a heavier burden in that sense than the woman who loved her life. But the woman who's up at 5 a.m. so she can get to the gym before work and is fueled by her latte and has a fast-paced job and has dinner with her friends and travels across the country to meet friends or boyfriend on weekends. She may love her life, but it is still really draining and depleting her body. And if there's one thing I could say about this, it's to be proactive, if at all possible, coming up to menopause. Even though we know it's there and we know it's coming, most women are caught off guard by it because we're living our lives. We keep having one more thing added to our plate and we adapt to it. Right. So that's where our focus is on our job or raising our kids or getting done the next thing we have to get done on our to do list. And when we start having symptoms in the beginning, often women feel that something's wrong because we're very symptom oriented in our medical culture, especially in the last 25 years with the direct to consumer advertising about over the counter drugs and pharmaceutical drugs, we tend to think of symptoms as harbingers of disease. Right. But in fact, quite often our symptoms are trying to show us where our body's heading, what it's trying to do. And that's one thing that I try to highlight when I'm working with women is that your body is very intelligent and it knows what it's doing. So let's get on board and help it. And you have this symptom, this is what it's trying to accomplish and where it's having trouble. And so if we can get on board and help, that gives a sense of control back to a woman of, oh, I see what's happening. I'm not broken. I'm not sick. Right. My body's trying to do this for me and she can join that. 
And it works a lot better that way. And just know that your body knows what it's doing. And Mm -hmm. there is a reason that it's doing this. And you talk about the role of grandmothers. Can you talk to, we actually just did a podcast because both Dora and I are recent grandmothers. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So I love that section and circled it and really wanted Mm -hmm. you to share this with our listeners. Yeah, if you look at what anthropology has to tell us, it is when we lived long enough past our reproductive years, in other words, to the age of grandmothers, that we really began to further the evolution of the human species. Because especially in very early times, mothers became pregnant again pretty much right away. So you only had that real focus on a child while they were in your belly and while you were nursing and right after that. And then you had to leave that child to its own devices when the next one came along. So the grandmothers were able to collect a lot more food. They were able to take care of these children that were at this, to me, what is such a magical age in terms of brain development and when you really begin to take in what it is that the world is. And they had a longer view and they could tell the stories of their people and just wake up a whole new part of the brain. It's really interesting. I find that until we're about six, the brain kind of downloads experience as if it's truth. We don't have the analytical capacity yet to really sort through things and have a perspective. So we just take it in like sponges. And while not the same as early man, certainly grandmothers generally have more time and the ability to really be present with children often than their parents do who are still working hard and Uh all Uh of that. And At that age, really, our job is to follow them around and watch them discover the world and point things out to them and start to take in, oh, that's who this being is. How can I support them to be more of that? So I'm all for taking your grandchild into nature and building fairy houses and helping them connect with the natural world, because I I really do believe we're losing our connection to nature. And that's part of why we see um, such distortion in our culture these days. Can you expand on that? Because again, that is something that we really explore and really do agree with you. I think we've come to feel like we live on the earth and we are in charge of nature or what we want for our life or our culture is more important than nature. And yet I really see that we're all part of the same fabric, almost, if you want to think of it, that in some ways, human beings are part of the neural system of the planet that keeps evolving. And when we can't care for our mother, for the planet that gives us life, literally, we're all made of the same stuff then we don't tend to care for the women in our life and on this earth either. It's all a similar thing of what kind of value do you attribute to that. I find myself being very concerned, and I talk about this some in the book too, of just how addicted to our devices we've become. And it really upsets me to see a toddler trying to get their parents' attention when they're so focused on their device, they don't even hear what's 
going on. And it makes us so our attention spans are shorter, so we don't have the presence. And above all, I think children need presence. Adults need presence. And I think we're kind of the last generation to have grown up without devices. I still remember in my mid to late 40s, getting those discs in the mail from AOL that says, oh, try this. And finally, I went, hey, okay, I'll try it and put it into a computer. And it took 45 minutes to load up. And I didn't right. <laughs> ever use this for anything. So I think it's easy to forget now that we have high speed internet, and we have these phones that are computers, and we email and we are virtual in so many ways, it's easy to forget how short a period of time we've really had that. Yeah, I had a friend recently send me a packet full of letters that I had written to them over the years. And uh. I thought, oh, yes, that used to be a big part of my weekend sometime if I would sit down and really be present and write a letter to someone. And um, we don't even think about doing that anymore. <laughs> no, no, we fire off a text. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Right. So in writing the book, did you have a favorite chapter or something that you really like to talk about? I loved at each at the end of it, you had the deep dive, which is so cool. So you ask questions after each chapter. So you take this book and you almost make it like a workbook in a way, right? It could be used that way. And I hope women will use it that way because for an easier menopausal transition and to really become what we need to become on the other side of it, I feel like it's critical to catch up to present time, to really know who we are and to sift through all the past identities we've expressed and filled, you know, the mother, the girlfriend, the arm candy, the whatever, to go back, number one, and look at how our identity as a woman formed, whose voices went into creating that? Was it really how we thought of ourselves or were we just taking on a cultural or a familial role? And then to really consciously grieve the things that we never did and never had that we wanted to, or to celebrate what we were able to accomplish, to sift through it all and decide what we'd like to take with us into this next arc of our life, because our brain is being wired at menopause for creativity and for integration literally wired for it because the the hormones that run the menstrual cycle and our fertility during our reproductive years, the primary one is estrogen, estradiol. We call it estrogen, but there's more than one kind of estrogen in our body. And that triggers the part of our brain that makes us want to make babies and nurture everything in sight and scan men when they walk into a room or women, whatever you're, you know, but biologically it's about men and women, you know, to reproduce. And then as that starts to go down, estriol, which is another hormone, rises at menopause and that directly triggers your creative centers in your brain. So it's almost like we're coming out of a hormonal trance that we've been in that's helped us to be all nurturing and in some ways be the doormat for our families and communities. It buffers all of that. And what's 
real and true and our own creative urges are now being highlighted in this time of life, which is part of what's so wonderful about it. And that's why you're saying if you can be free of whatever these stories or whatever you've carried in your backpack Mm -hmm. up until this point, you won't be able to really appreciate it until you've made peace with all of that. I think of it as becoming authentic as really looking at things and seeing what is real and true for me now. That's not just to negate that it might have been different at an earlier point in life, but what's real and true for me now and what do I want to take forward with Mm -hmm. me? And so these questions at the end of each chapter help you figure that out, right? The going deeper sections. Yes. Yes. And I really hope it's my dream that women will get together with a few other friends that they really love and trust and do this work together because it is so important that we tell our stories and we don't. Most of us have secrets that we think of and the secrets that we hide within ourselves because it's not what is looking good in culture or we may have shame around something. But really, when you get down to it, and I found this over and over, all our secrets are the same secret. We're human beings. And so we've all been holding some things back. And it's incredibly healing to tell our stories. In fact, I don't think true healing can happen without it, that we be witnessed, that we speak it out loud and have witnesses or trusted others that we can do this with. So It would make me very happy if lots of little groups of women started getting together. It's a perfect book to do that. I mean, it just is because you walk us through so much and your explanation in each chapter is so amazing that there's just so much that people can talk about. So the beginning of the book, you talk about the beginning, which you did at the beginning of our conversation. And at the end of the book, moving through it, engaging and sharing your wisdom, becoming the memory keeper and begin it now. Can you go through the moving through part? I think it has to do with being authentic and reclaiming your passion in a way because we're perfectly poised during menopause to really be able to do what we came to do in the world. And a lot of women would say to me, I have no idea anymore what... (laughs) I want. I've been taking care of other people's needs for so long. And I like to remind them to remember when they were 10, before the hormones hit. 10 year olds are amazingly insightful and intelligent. I say, think back to when you were 10. What was your passion? What were you on fire about then? What was your favorite Halloween costume ever? And how did it make you feel and why? But just to sift through and figure out what the gift is that we want to give to the world, because that's what this time is about. Menopause is the harvest. It's when we get to pick that juicy fruit and eat it and savor it and then take the seeds and plant them for the next generation. And I feel like it's so important that we have succession, that we have someone that we have passed on our knowledge to or awakened something in them before our life is over, because you can live a bright flare of a life. But if you haven't somehow grounded that before you leave, it goes with you. So I do see us as a memory keepers of a time that is passing out of history, the pre-technological age that we're living in now. 
And I don't want that to be lost and forgotten. So I hope that women will go through their memories and what's most important to them and what they would make sure to pass on either to their grandchildren if they have them or to their communities or to other people's grandchildren if they don't have them. Just what is it that is important to leave behind? How do you view death? Because you're not fearful of death, right? I personally am not fearful of death. And I think a lot of that has to do with upbringing. And I think it also has to do with just, I have a real clear sense of the continuum of consciousness. But I would say that I think our beliefs about death and how we do feel completely color this last arc of our lives and whether we move toward it and become what we're to become or whether we move into fear to begin to look at how we feel about that and also to talk about it because most people even on their deathbeds will not talk about the fact that they're dying often their families don't want to talk about it or they themselves are fearful i see consciousness as a continuum i'm myself a believer in reincarnation and it makes sense to me It's just so fascinating. Your whole book gets very joyful. And I loved your beginning, how you start the book. We actually do come with operating instructions. I love that because everybody's like, it didn't come with operating instructions. We didn't know what to do, but you say we actually do come with it. And they're coded in our DNA, in our conscience, in what draws our soul. That is just beautiful. And it's not so important that we look successful in the world's eyes. What's important is that we live our life the life we came here to live. We need to honor the incarnation we find in ourselves. No one else can live that life, give that gift. We must pay attention, listen deeply to ourselves, to what we move toward and to what brings us joy. When I heard that, I thought joy is available to us all and life is meant to be joyful, you said. And if we can manage that, regardless of our circumstances, it transforms everything around us. I mean, those words, I kept rereading them and rereading them, and they're just beautiful. As I said, I do believe that we have a knowing within us of what we're here to do, who we are. And certainly as we grow, we have a lot of things imposed on us by our families, our culture, our religion. And sometimes it's hard to tease out what is real and true for us. But if we can do that, then I think that's what it's about. And to express that, to be self-expressed. And I think women, I don't know how old you are. I'm 69. I'm 60, just by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great age. It's wonderful. Certainly when I was growing up, women were not encouraged to be self-expressed at all. I really feel that if we can do that, And if we can find joy in it, I do believe it transforms everything around us because we put out whatever you want to call it, a a frequency, a feeling. People come into your presence, they generally will entrain to whatever it is that you are putting out. And if you can be at ease in your life and be joyful, even if you don't have the latest gadget you want, be joyful in yourself that is going to transform things around you. I feel like we're so polarized right now in our current culture, and this is being encouraged for people to polarize around ideologies and identify with them. And the amount of stress that creates, number one, I think is really 
horrible. And if we can look at other people and not see that and just be human beings with each other and put out joy, compassion, it's often when things are the worst that the best in humans rise up and you work shoulder to shoulder with somebody who may be on the completely opposite end of you know, the spectrum ideologically, if something's going on in your community that needs doing, or if somebody, a family down the road's house gets on fire, you know, you show up and you be there. And I just like to remember that this is where I live in my community with the people around me. I don't live on the news cycle. I don't live in this ideological place that we're being encouraged to spend our lives. Yes. No, your book is such a gift, Susan, I think to anybody and everybody who reads it. And I know that we're going to really actively take your suggestion. I know that Doro, my sisters and I will be making a small group ourselves to be able, when the book comes out on February 15th, we have our paper copy, but we'll get the hardcover as well and do that. Susan, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners that we didn't talk about that you know is really important and you want them all to know? I would just say, don't buy into the myth that your life is over when menopause comes, because that has been the cultural view for a long time. And be proactive. Know that you're going to say yes to this. Try to put some things in place beforehand, if you can, to get healthy, reduce your stress, create rhythms in your life so that you can conserve energies. and. Tell your stories if you can. Become aware of what they are at any rate. And then maybe you can tell them down the road. And just that this is a powerful, joyful time of life. It's not a diminishment. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.